Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this fine day? You doing good? Good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord, learning the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord, experiencing the indwelling power of the Lord. It's just absolutely great. I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining from around this region. And uh, if you're at home and watching online, we are so thankful for each and every one of you. And I I just pray that uh, this next series time that we're spending together will be a blessing for you, not just to get you through the holidays, but to just make you victorious in the midst of them. That's what I'm praying for all of you. And I'm so thankful that we had the last two weeks to connect with Randy Frazee and Roseanne Frazee. They are such good friends of Allison and myself. And the things that I wanted him to share that he shared, I think are so critical. And I'll tell you why. It's because uh, as we're going through what 2020 has been, we tend to just just toughen up. You know, we put our big boy, big girl pants on, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We flex all of our muscles and we like, ah, I'm going to make it, you know, and we just kind of stand up against it. But there'll come a time when this will start to pass. And when it does, like really passes away from us, then we're gonna give ourselves permission to kind of let down and exhale. And that is a time when a lot of us really struggle, when we give ourselves a chance to do it. And I think that the things that we learned from Randy in the last two weeks, those three major points that he shared in the second week are gonna be really critical uh, to this congregation. I shared that with him. And you wanna be thinking about that when that time comes in your life, if you haven't already collapsed, under the weight of it. If you do, and you're looking for, how do I manage through this? I would go back and listen to those sermons. That's something that, that I will do. And when you think, is it, is it that I want to control more or should I be yielding more? Am I looking for the power of God when I'm not resting in the will of God? Am I trying to get him to move into my will or am I moving into his will? Those realities are going to really, really help you. So uh, really, really thankful for those last two weeks. But I'm excited to be in this new week and this new series for the next four weeks having to do the, uh, with the manger, with the birth of Christ. We call it mystery in the manger. And I, I get to start sharing uh, that one with you today. Have you ever, have you ever shared a story about yourself or your family or someone you know and care about that you truly believed? Like you believe the story that you're telling? And you actually remember it that way, only to have someone else in your family or someone close to you point out that everything that you're remembering about that is like completely false. Has that ever happened to any of you? Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, how things can get reinforced in our mind that really aren't true. Like you're the one that's the most surprised by, what? wait a minute, I, that's how I remember it. You know, we, uh, we did a sermon series a while back, explored this idea. It was called the Mandela Effect. And we pointed out some like trivial things that we remember one way, but they actually occurred in a different way. And it's fascinating, all right? So what that shows us is that we can accept something to be truth, even though it may not even be close to the truth. 
So you put enough time and you put enough tradition, you put enough reinforcement into something, and it will definitely feel like the truth. Can I give you some examples of things that you perceive to be true even right now, even today, that are like completely false? Be kind of fun. Top 10, okay? I don't know if these are a top 10, but 10 things, ready? How about this? Uh, how many of you have heard that bulls get angry when they see the color red? Do you know that bulls are red and green colorblind? They can't even see the color red. And if you ever thought about that with like bullfighters or something like that, it's actually the, uh, it's actually the motion or the movement of the cape that irritates them. It has nothing to do with the color red. How many of you heard that George Washington had wooden teeth? Yeah, it's not true. He actually had dentures made of ivory, gold, lead. That's a great idea. And here's the worst one, other people's teeth. Can you imagine putting them in every morning? Yeah, yeah, not true. How many of you heard that uh, people who were accused of being witches were burnt at the stake at the Salem witch trials. There was never anyone burnt at the stake in America with the Salem witch trials. They were either hanged or died in prison. Not one. Wait a minute. That's how I remember it. That's not true. How about that people thought the earth was flat until Columbus sailed uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. How many of you heard that? That people thought the world was flat. Do you know that people knew the world was, the educated people knew the world was a sphere going all the way back to 300 BC? That they had discovered that the earth was round 1800 years before Columbus sailed? Man, you are ruining my entire history portfolio. <laughs> How many of you heard that it takes seven years to digest gum? Gum is not digested at all. It passes through your digestive system immediately, kind of like corn. Anyway, <laughs> inappropriate things to say when you're a preacher. How many of you heard that we swallow an average of eight spiders a year while sleeping? Completely untrue. There is absolutely no evidence in the world to support that. Some of you are going, okay, that was worth coming to church, just that. <laughs> How many of you heard that Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake? There is no historical record of her ever saying that. Wow. How about that Napoleon was short? Napoleon was five foot, five inches tall, which was the average height of a man during his lifetime. How about that the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th, 1776? No, it wasn't signed until August 2nd of that year. You know what? I preached this sermon on Thursday and Clayton went, that is not true. And he looks it up and he goes, well, it was ratified on the July 4th and it wasn't signed until August 2nd. Yeah, it's true, right? Finally, last one, number 10. How many of you heard that the five-second rule applies to food that is dropped on the floor? Yeah, not true. Picks up that bacteria instantly, right? So do you have your stories like that? I have my stories like that. 
like things I believe that aren't true at all. Like one of them, one of my favorites is when we bought the Hannibal location, we were in the process of looking at the theater and uh, it, it was so, it was in such a bad dilapidated condition. We had to go through with flashlights. There was no electricity, no running water plaster falling on the floors. It was, it was terrible. We went down into the bowels of this building where the old dressing rooms were, and we're going through this with flashlights, and there is the stack of doors, and the guy that was selling us the building said, you know what, that stack of doors is worth the cost of this entire theater. And he had me. I was like, Real, what? He goes, yeah. I go, what? He goes, I'll tell you what, everyone who performed in this theater signed to the dressing room doors. And when Hannibal LaGrange College used this facility back a number of years ago, they had the students paint over those signatures. But if you can get the paint off, those signatures are still underneath there. You know who performed at the Orpheum Theater? People like the Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong. I could go on and on. I'm going. This is cool. So when we bought that theater, I had all of those doors brought over to the 48th Street location, and it was me myself who put those doors up one at a time on the table with my heat gun. <laughs> and I couldn't find any signatures. I kept looking door after door, and I started thinking, well, you know, where would they be standing? Where would they be? Be right here, be like right here. So like, I'm looking at every door and I'm doing this, I'm trying to be super careful, I'm doing this. And door after door, I'm not getting anywhere. And then suddenly I'm in this one spot and there is a hint of black. And I went, oh, here we go. I am there. And I kept slowly, it said men. <laughs> All that work for a men's room door. Total urban legend, none of it true. Well, none of that is really a big deal, except for the spider thing. That's a big deal to me. In the larger scheme of things, doesn't really matter. But what if there was something that you believed and you trusted in that really did matter? What if you were literally betting everything on the truth of the story, and then you found out that it was more just the stuff of legend, more myth than truth? And is there any story like that that exists in your life that has that kind of power over your life. Yeah, it's the one that we are in the season of celebrating right now. The story of Christmas. And I'll tell you what, if the story of Christmas is true, it's all true. If the story of Christmas is false, the rest of it may as well be false. Right? Now, we all know that the story of Christmas has been embellished with songs and with art and with story and with tradition for like 2,000 years. So how am I able to determine what is true and what is not true so that I know what I actually believe and what my faith is resting on is true? And what evidence do I actually have for that? That's what I want to explore. That's the mystery in the manger that we are exploring for the next four weeks. And this week, what I want to do is I want to talk about eyewitness testimony. If you were in a court of law, that would be really important, right? Because all the rest of testimony is called hearsay. But this eyewitness testimony 
is key to any court of law, right? So I want to explore that. And as we look at it, we look at this story, it's related in God's word in two of the four gospels. We all know that the four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Two of those books talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew and Luke specifically, and they give us a specific picture, right? But neither one of those writers were there when Jesus was born. They weren't there. There were only three people there when Jesus was actually born. Mary, Joseph, and a baby named Jesus. That's it. We have no other historical record of anyone else being in that moment but then. So that means what? That means we're pretty limited on eyewitness accounts. But these two men, Matthew and Luke, were able to speak to at least one of those people who were there, who was there, and that was Mary, mother of Jesus. How do I know that? Luke chapter one, verses one to four says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses, one of which was Mary and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, from the beginning, be the birth, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is, is a, just means lover of God. If you're a lover of God, this is written to you, okay? So that you may know for certainty of the things you have been taught. That's important. Because if your faith is resting on this, it's important to know for certainty the things that have been shared with you. Both writers actually go into great detail, coming in from different directions to help us understand the events that preceded, that happened during, and even sometime after the birth of Jesus Christ. And both give us hard evidence. One of those pieces of hard evidence in Matthew and Luke are the two genealogies. And Clayton is going to go into great detail next week about those genealogies. Another thing that you see in Matthew and Luke is the evidence of prophecy. And we're going to talk about that in the third week, how all of that played out in truth. But what I want to do this week is talk about this eyewitness testimony. Let's look at the people who were closest to the actual event and how that might dispel any myths or legends that would grow up like weeds because they kind of do around an actual story or the actual facts of a story, all right? So point number one is eyewitness testimony. Matthew and Luke are sharing a story that they heard from the only living eyewitness, and that was Mary, the mother of Jesus. But that wouldn't have been the extent of it. There were other people that they could have talked to and undoubtedly did talk to, and I'll give you two names. James and Jude. So in the New Testament, there is a book of James and there's a book of Jude. James and Jude are Jesus's little brothers. What we know from God's word is that Mary and Joseph were not, that's not who had Jesus. Mary had Jesus because Jesus was virgin born. He was born in a miraculous way through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why he's the son of God. He was virgin born. Only Mary 
supplied chromosomes and genes for Jesus. He was virgin born. But Mary and Joseph in their marriage had other children, quite a few other children, boys and girls. Two of those boys ended up being gospel writers, James and Jude. They are the immediate family, the immediate family of who Jesus knew. Now, Joseph by this time has passed away. You don't read anything about Joseph after Jesus is 12 years old. So sometime between 12 and 30, Joseph had passed away. So they would not have had the opportunity to talk to him unless you were part of Jesus' family, unless you were James and Jude. They would have been able to talk to their father, right? And Joseph would have confirmed the stories to his children. So both James and Jude would have heard this. It's interesting because James and Jude, neither one believed in Jesus as the Messiah until after he'd proven it from rising from the dead. So uh, that's interesting because then they would go back and go, wow, that's what dad was saying. That's what mom was saying. So these are the eyewitnesses that testimony was received from. And so their testimony would have been relevant. So both Matthew and Luke are pulling from eyewitness testimony, number one. Number two, second reason that I believe in this story is because the truth is unvarnished. Unvarnished truth. And that's the thing I love about it, you know? It's the truth of their testimony reinforced by its candor, by its lack of varnish. Because we all know this, don't we, that history has a tendency to pick winners and losers. Isn't that right? Like winners are the ones who write the history books. Tends to be that way. You know, Helen of, Helen of Troy was, you know, actually Helen of Greece, of Pella, Greece. But the winners wrote about it. And it was written by Homer 800 years after that, so that's why we believe that. And you know how, how it happens when it comes to our heroes. We tend to only want to hear the good news about our heroes. We don't want to really hear the bad news because when the truth comes out, our attitude changes, right? A lot of this uh, we're seeing happen over this last year. I mean, you know, Thomas Jefferson, you know, d writing the Declaration of Independence, uh, starting the... University of Virginia in Charlottesville and all the science, all the things that he contributed to the American experience. And yet now, you know, everyone wants to tear down his statue because there was another part of his life that is not palatable in the 21st century. We tend to want to ignore those things because we want to hold on to our heroes. And it's, you know, it's political figures, it's spiritual leaders, it's historical figures of any kind, right? And you know this, right? Because you've been to a funeral before. I bet everyone that's listening to me has been to a funeral before. And the person that's preaching is preaching this person right up into heaven. You know what I mean? It's like they were this and that. And you're sitting in your seat going, like, I knew that person. And what you are, what you are shoveling up there smells pretty bad. Because that is not who that person was at all. We tend to want to embellish that. We want to tell the good and not the bad. And that's why the unvarnished truth is so important. And the story that Matthew and Luke relate is unvarnished. Let me tell you, it is full of scandal. Absolute scandal. Scandal? The birth of Jesus? 
away in a man. No, scandal. How about this? Joseph's attitude about Mary being pregnant. Can you imagine being a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old and going to mom and dad and going, hey, I'm pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And how they're going to receive that? Or being engaged to be married to a man who's expected to believe that? And that's what I love about Matthew 1, 18 and 19. It unvarnishes the truth. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. And by the way, in Jewish law, being pledged to be married was equal to being married. And if you cheated on your engaged spouse, it was a punishable by death. It was a big deal. He was pledged to be married to, she was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that means sexually, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He kept the, the Jewish law. He didn't, because you know what happens. You know what happens when you do that. Read John 8. Read John 8 about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, who was dragged out naked into the street, and everybody wanted to stone her to death. And Jesus said, the person without sin, let that person cast the first stone. He was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And he had a mind in mind to divorce her quietly. Isn't that scandal? You know, the only reason that he accepted the fact that she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit is because of divine intervention. A man to be spoken to by an angel. How about Mary going and spending time with Elizabeth? Just to avoid more controversy, Luke chapter 1, verse 39 and 40, at the time Mary got ready and hurried, hurried, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, it's 100 miles away, by the way, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So some of her pregnancy was experienced away from her community, in a community 100 miles away. Is that enough for you, for unvarnished truth? Oh, we're not done. How about the, the, the couple, Mary and Joseph, traveling to Bethlehem from Nazareth, a hundred-mile journey when she's nine months pregnant? Oh, yeah, you know that part, right? What you may not know is that they were traveling without their family. What the genealogy tells you is it wasn't just Mary and Joseph that were of the house in the lineage of David. It was their entire extended family. All of Joseph's family was of the house in the lineage of David. All of Mary's family was of the house of the lineage of David, which means that both of their families, the entire extended family, had to travel to Bethlehem. But you don't see Mary and Joseph traveling with their families, which would have been safer. It would have been easier. She would have been able to have more comfort in that. No, they're traveling alone. What does that tell you? It tells you that they had been ostracized by their family. There's more evidence of that coming. Scandalous. How about their absolute poverty? Firstborn male children had to be dedicated at the temple on the eighth day, and you had to pay for a sacrifice. They could only afford two turtle doves because they were absolutely impoverished. 
They would have been with their family, would have been different. How about this? Their unwillingness to go back to Nazareth. They probably lived two years in Bethlehem. It doesn't take that long to recover from a birth. They could have traveled back to Nazareth a month after, at least, or earlier, after she'd given birth to Jesus. But no, they didn't. They stayed in Bethlehem. How do I know that they stayed in Bethlehem? Well, because the Magi tell me that, the wise men. It was a little different. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> By the way, the wise men made this horrible mess, which is more unvarnished truth. They go to Herod. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? And Herod is this homicidal, pathological sociopath that's killed 46 members of his family, and now he's being told that there's a little baby that's actually the king of the Jews, and he's not. That was dumb for wise men to go talk to him, right? Bible says that they had to leave another way and that Mary and Joseph were warned in a dream and then they have to run away to Africa, to Egypt, to get away from Herod before he kills Jesus. That's pretty scandalous. You know, actually the list goes on and on and on. What does it teach you? The unvarnished truth tells you the truth. They didn't doll this up. They didn't polish it. They didn't just tell you the good stuff. They told you the reality. And that's there's truth in that. Truth in eyewitness testimony. Truth in the unvarnished truth. Here's the set, third one. Time. Time. Remember this? The Gospels were written, Matthew and Luke were written, within 60 years of Jesus' birth. Within 30 years of his death and resurrection. And the stories were being circulated before either one of these guys became the author that put uh, quill to parchment and wrote it down. You know, time is one of the most powerful things that can radically change a story from the truth to the myth. And getting a written account that close to the actual event actually takes us right back to the bare bones of the truth. See, most history by ancient historians was written hundreds of years after the event, even thousands of years after the actual events. But not this, not this. You actually have a record of what happened that close to the actual experience with eyewitness testimony and unvarnished truth. So all you have to do is read it. You want to know? You want to know if this is true? Just read it. Because it's true. Fourth, re fourth reason, there's four. four. Fourth reason is tradition that changes truth into legend or truth into myth. You know, human beings are storytellers. We are. We're all storytellers. And sometimes stories are made up in such a way that, you know, they're more interesting. And over time, they can change the actual narrative of the story, right? We tend to embellish things to make them more interesting. And there's a lot of things traditionally that we believe about Christmas that aren't true. So, you, you know, you, you paid a nickel to get in here today, I'm gonna ruin your Christmas, okay? Just for a little bit. Things that you may not have known. First of all, Christmas is on December 25th because that's when Jesus was born. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. The reason it's December 25th has to do with the pagan worship of Saturn, a Roman holiday has nothing to do. They just basically took 
an existing holiday for the worship of a pagan god and turned it over to Christianity. Jesus was probably born in the early fall or the spring. Now we know that because of the way the shepherds were dealing with the sheep outside. Oh man, you just ruined about 30% of Christmas. Well, I'll get 100% here in a second, right? How about this? The wise men were there at the birth. No, they weren't. The wise men were not there at the birth of Jesus Christ. But wait a minute, I've got this nativity scene. It's in my front window, you know, and I got this little, this little shack and you, you got these three guys and they're coming up, you know, with their stuff and they're, you know, there you go. And, and you got the little, the little plastic uh, uh, camels in the background laying down. It's just perfect. You know, it's not true. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 dispels it. says, on coming to the what? On coming to the what? The house. The house? It was a stable, not a house. No, it was a house. You know why? Because Jesus was about two years old. It doesn't say the infant, different word in the original language. They saw the child with his mother Mary. These people from Persia that came found Jesus when he was about two. How do we know it was about two? Because that was the parameter that Herod set for killing the babies. Two and down. So Jesus was about two years old. Coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures presented and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Sorry, they saw Jesus was when he was about two years old and when his family was living in a house in Bethlehem because they chose not to go back to Nazareth. We already know why. Here's another one I'm going to blow up for you. There were three wise men. Bible never says there were three wise men. It only says there were three gifts. We know it was more than one because it says men. It doesn't say man. But it could have been a thousand. It could have been a hundred. It could have been 50. We have no idea how many wise men there. You know, we all think, well, I got the gold. Did you get the silver? Did you get the frankincense? And I got the myrrh back here. It's not necessarily true. They gave him those gifts. We have no idea how many there actually were because the original story doesn't reveal that. Here's another one there was no wooden stable. Come on. No, wood in Israel during the time of Christ and even now is considered a very, very expensive commodity. As a matter of fact, wood was precious. They had to deliver it from Lebanon. They had cedar trees in Lebanon and they would actually bring them down. That's not where Jesus was. As a matter of fact, Church of the Nativity is one of the oldest... Um, one of the oldest sites in Israel goes back to 300 AD. And if you go to the Church of the Nativity, underneath the pulpit, it's actually built over uh, where the proposed site of where Jesus was born, and it's in a cave. And that makes sense because uh, caves are all over that place. It's all you know pretty arid and barren, and there are these caves. And so shepherds would, would uh, stable their animals in caves. They didn't build lean-to shacks. They still do, as a matter of fact. If you go to Bethlehem today, shepherds are still using caves. 
And when you go down the stairs on the one side of the pulpit in the Church of the Nativity, you get down there, there's a manger. Guess what the manger's made of? It's made of stone. It's made of stone, carved into the rock. It is not made of wood. You've heard that there was no room in the inn. Well, of course there was no room at the inn. You know why? Because Bethlehem was a town of three to 500 during the time of Christ. I didn't know that. I thought there were thousands. No, about three to 500 people lived in that town. So there wasn't like a Motel 6 and a Holiday Inn Express. There was probably a B&B. Probably had two or three rooms and they were full. Wasn't a ton of people. So there was an inn. There wasn't a lot of inns. Makes a lot of sense, right? It also accounts for the fact that Jewish historians didn't even record the slaughter of the children in Bethlehem, you know, because of the low number. In Matthew 2.16, it says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, the wise men, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That's how we know that Jesus was about two. Now, that would be a very, think about how many babies there would be in a town of three to 500 that were male and they were two years old or under. Wouldn't have been very many. That's why it didn't make all the other history. And while I'm ruining your Christmas, there was no little drummer boy either. Okay, was it worth it? You better believe it was worth it to hear that. It was totally worth it, and I'll tell you why. This is what I'm saying. We don't only have a story. We have the truth in front of us. You read Matthew, you read Luke, you are reading an accurate account of the birth of Jesus Christ, and that's a big deal because all your faith is resting on that truth. And I, that, that would be enough. That would be enough. But we're gonna spend four weeks on this because God doesn't want to leave anything to doubt. He wants you to know for certainty that what he told you about the birth of our Lord and Savior, the Son of God coming down to earth, earth is absolutely true. Something this important has to rest on the facts. My faith needs to rest on the foundation of facts. But the deeper story is this. If this story is true, what does that mean? What does that mean for your life right now? See, this kind of truth requires more than an understanding of the case. It requires a response, a response from every one of you. He requires a response because if God has done this great thing, he did it for a reason. And that reason is even greater than this story. The reason that God did this is so that Jesus could come to this earth in this particular way in order to make a way for you to get back to your heavenly Father. And it came at great expense. And when we read about the birth of Christ, you're getting your first look at the bill. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you didn't really pay attention? And then the bill comes and you're like, oh, whoa. This is the bill. You're seeing what it cost. Mary and Joseph, well, they gave their love. 
That would, have been, that would not have been easy. The shepherds, they gave their worship and risked their flocks and herds, left their fields and their animals. The wise men gave their gifts and made a journey that could have lasted over a year, maybe two. But Jesus, he gave his all. And the question that God is asking you today, asking us all together today, is whether or not you're going to give your gifts, whether or not you're going to give your worship, whether or not you're going to give your love to him as well. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.